Welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. Um, I'm Greg O'Keefe and I'm with Paddy Boyland. I'm not with Paddy Boyland, well, you know the score by now. I'm speaking to Paddy um, as he ploughs relentlessly through pots of mint tea, um, because that's just the sort of rock and roll journalist he is. Eat your heart out, Hunter S. Thompson. Pad, how are things? I mean, that's quite uh, an introduction. Um I don't really know. I know, I know. I know we're talking about putting rock and roll into things. I think that's the first time mint tea and rock and roll have ever been used in the same sentence. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. It sounds, it, it, it sounds interesting to me. It sounds like a good one. I'm, I'm quite happy with the reputation. I'll, I'll go along with that. Hunter S. Thompson, I may not be, but I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give this pod, podcast a go. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. Um, can't yet hear any... Um, geese in the background from your end so i'm assuming the tony soprano <laughs> moment's over um, but no i'm good how are you i'm not bad mate yeah the um the geese have been locked out f- for the day sorry sorry to regular listeners you have to put up with the uh, cornucopia wildlife around where i live you'd think you'd think i live on some <laughs> in some of the middle of nowhere in the countryside it's just uh it's just i actually live not far from where Everton's new stadium is going to be um <laughs> And Canadian geese seem to make a habit of coming to uh, to to walk around here. You might you might see them one day uh, as you're making your way to the stadium. But uh, anyway, and Greg in, in absolutely... his, his uh, flip flops <laughs> and dressed dressing gown with his um, little catcher, so he, he's in the pool wading through all the uh, all the debris from, <laughs> from from what's going on. It's a I mean, thing. <laughs> well, well, I'm half there. I am wearing flip flops, and I've certainly in lockdown grown a gut to rival. Uh, Tony Soprano so who knows by the time we get to Bramley Moore I might have had enough hair loss and uh, be smoking a cigar as well we'll see <laughs> and of course on the site this week we've got some other fantastic articles pad uh, and if I said to you 60 grand 60 grand <laughs> I think most most Everton supporters would know what I'm getting at it is indeed the start of the Seamus Coleman song and it is a ridiculously low sum of money in, in relation to football transfer fees anyway, um, which Everton paid for arguably at one point, certainly one of the best right backs in the Premier League. And certainly, as we argue in our piece on the site, one of the best value signings in Everton's history. And I'd, I'd warrant the Premier League history as well uh, when Everton took a punt on a, a raw young right back from Sligo Rovers, over in Ireland back in 2009. Pad, we we kind of, it took a while, but we we told his story right back from even before Sligo when he started out playing Gaelic football and then and then proper football. <laughs> Although yeah. our Irish our Irish <laughs> subscribers might not thank me for that. Oof. But the the other football um, in Killybegs where he grew up, right through to the Premier League and recovering from. Uh, setbacks and, and prospering in a, in a royal blue shirt, um, and I think we both agreed. You know, we, we we've loved most pieces we've written, but this was a real pleasure, wasn't it, to look back and speak to different people about Seamus? Yeah, to be honest, I think it's it's been long overdue. I mean, I look at the body of work we've done on the Athletic, and we've covered just about everything from stadium and commercial deals, financial accounts. The minutiae of particular systems, particular players, how they're getting on. 
And we haven't really had much of a focus on Seamus Coleman for, for one reason or another. So it was probably long overdue. And in terms of the genesis of the idea, I just remember conversations about kind of best of a specific club. And one of the categories was best captain and the other category was best value signing. And certainly with best value signing, you could argue that that's Seamus Coleman by an absolute landslide uh, for, for the 60,000 figure you mentioned. But he's also been a, a supreme captain as well. So uh, I do think it's in- interesting to tell his story. I think, like I say, it's, it's long overdue. It's a really interesting story. And I'm not just saying that you, you look back to his kind of his origins as a Gaelic footballer, the lack, as, as so many people pointed out to us in the piece, the lack of academy background, in particularly in English football, which kind of allows people uh, not just a technical um, tutelage, but also a tactical one as well. And maybe some of those things have set Seamus Coleman back a little bit, i.e. maybe he's not the best technical footballer in Everton's ranks over the last five, ten years, however long back you want to go. But I think in some ways it's made him the player he is today um, and the player he was at his as absolute peak. And you, you say there that you think he was one of the Premier League's best left-backs for a while. I would, I would echo that. I think towards the end of David Moyes' tenure and the start of Roberto Martinez's spell, I don't think there was a better right-back and a better attacking right-back in the league than Seamus. I remember a goal he scored against Southampton. Um, I think it was in Martinez's first season where he absolutely scorched just down the right wing in in obvious trademark Seamus style and then comes inside and absolutely arrows one into the Gladys Street net, right into the top of the Gladys Street net. I remember thinking after that game, he's the best. he is the best right back in the Premier League at this moment in time. He's absolutely fearless. He's doing things that no other right backs can do, partly because Martinez had those two bombing on from fullback so much. But it's not just that. I mean, we, we, we looked in depth at his, his injury and what it took for him to get back from that. Um, his popularity in the dressing room. And not all captains are universally popular, far from it. But I think if you did a, a kind of an off-the-record survey of Everton players and asked them their thoughts on Seamus Coleman, as people have done from time to time, you would find almost un- unanimity with regards to his role and and what he's like and kind of dealing with players when they've got issues, what he's like with dealing with players when they're on a high and he wants to praise and and put his arm around them. Um, So an absolute pleasure really to, to, sometimes we have to report on negatives and we have to report on on things that have have got real nuance to them. And I'm not saying the Seamus story doesn't because it it obviously does, but we, we spoke to, I would say between us, maybe 10 people or more and, I would argue that every single one spoke in glowing terms of Seamus. Um, And that goes kind of beyond the people we spoke to and into the rest of the game. So nice to be able to tell this story in depth. Nice to be able to shine a light on what I would consider to be a modern Everton icon and and, and a good, a really, really good professional. Um, So many happy memories. Um, So so many happy memories. Um, And obviously a player that Everton fans look on still um, in really high regard. Yeah, he certainly has uh, been fantastic through almost every aspect of his evolution from coming over and, um, you know, having this sort of the the backbone to go out on loan when his career, I suppose, as, as you 
found out speaking to Keith Southern and other people, his career was in a balance. He went out and thrived at Blackpool and, and, and sort of won promotion there, had a fantastic season. Um, at a club very different from what he, you know, from Everton, certainly. More in line probably with what he was used to at Sligo in some ways. I remember him telling me uh, a long time ago that Blackpool they used to have to wash their own kits and stuff like that. So he probably <laughs> felt like yeah. he'd, swapped, he'd swapped that mentality for the Premier League and there he is back all of a sudden um, back on the road. But he, he did thrive and he does have that resilience. And, you know, speak people I spoke to um, over the water, but, you know, back where he's from, say that even then, you know, he was he was a fantastic player, obviously. Um, but it wasn't his technical um, perfection or, or flair that stood out. It was his attitude and it, and it was his sort of determination and mindset. And then, of course, there was this ability. And Gavin Piers, who used to play... Uh, alongside him um, at, at um, Sligo spoke about this and he spoke really interestingly he said I'd watch him and he, he, he he'd kind of have this this way of getting past players when he'd bomb on and it was almost sometimes you'd think how's he still got the ball but it was almost this Gaelic football um, sort of enhanced knack of keeping the ball and sometimes you know he's not you can see that in the way he, especially at his peak under Martinez he would just go on these swashbuckling trademark every journalist who's ever written about Seamus Coleman uh, <laughs> runs down the right flank and he'd emerge with the ball uh, and it wouldn't be step overs and you know you know anything you know really fancy but he was just such a difficult prospect for for in the opposing left back to deal with um, and all right whilst I've moaned about his his end product you know I'm sure we all have now and again said that you know his crossing can be hit and miss. It's just the amount of things he makes happen on the pitch. And, you know, he's, he's developed defensively over the years. And, and it's that having him as captain, I think, is such a fantastic um, role model off the field in the change rooms for Everton players. And, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're very, very lucky to have him. Um, obviously, as he's coming towards the end of his career, uh, there's sort of speculation about what will happen next and we don't really go into that too much in this piece but um, I I just think uh, call me sentimental but I couldn't imagine him nor would I want to play in Premier League football in, in any other club's colours it's a bit, a bit like with Baines isn't it on the left they're just not something I'd care to uh, I'd care to dwell upon really no they're, they're Everton men aren't they um, yeah and- that's a good way of summing it up yeah <laughs> I just I, I, I couldn't like you I couldn't see either of them playing for another Premier League side and I, I think I'd find it difficult at any level in English football even if say imagine in this in this hypothetical world that Leighton Baines ends up at Blackpool in two or three years that would still feel weird to me um, given what they've done for Everton Football Club and, and how synonymous I think those two have been with Everton over the years and certainly in the modern era you, you think of Tim Cahill and Mikel Arteta um, and, and a few others from those David Moyes sides Baines and, and Coleman obviously played for Moyes too. But I think over the last kind of five years or so, they've been the mainstays. They've been the ones that have epitomised Everton. Um, for better mainly, sometimes for worse in terms of injury problems and and, th- and things like that. Um, but I was just, just remembering when you, when you were talking about Seamus arriving on the scene at Everton. I mean, what we often skip over is, first of all, the fact that at Blackpool he was effectively playing to highlight his ability to potential future employers. He didn't think he had a future at Everton. He obviously made that really big impression, but he, he came back to Everton and played a lot on the right side of midfield. And 
when you're talking about kind of fearlessness and you use the kind of like the, the cliche then you're the kind of swash, swashbuckling or the buccaneering um, right back when he yeah. was when he was on the right wing I remember Gareth Bale for example was at the peak of his powers at Spurs around that time and David Moyes in kind of the cautious fashion that sometimes um, epitomised his certain parts of his Everton tenure he'd use Coleman in front of Phil Neville who was the right back yeah. and he'd, he'd effectively say yeah. Seamus you track the runs of Gareth Bale in games against Tottenham and at that time Bale was just blowing past everyone he was too quick too strong he developed into a real physical specimen and nobody could keep up with him Mike on at Inter certainly couldn't in those in those um, Champions League games Seamus was the only player during that spell that I remember not only negating Gareth Bale, but also at times getting the better of me. He scored a header at the back post, I think, to to win Everton the game. I think it was a 2-1 victory against a very good Tottenham side containing um, Bale and Raphael van der Vaart and, and players of that ilk. So he's just, I think whatever he's done, he's, he's had dogged determination. And he's overcome the odds on countless occasions. So we focused on a spell at Sligo where... There was one manager early into his tenure that just didn't favour him, didn't think he was going to make the grade. That changed when Paul Cook, who's, who's now the Wigan manager, um, arrived at Sligo um, and he really, really kind of made use, made best use of Seamus and, and got an awful lot out of him. But there, there have been others. So Alan Irvine said to you, didn't he, that um, for Everton's former assistant manager under David Moyes, he said it was almost kind of unexpected that he even played games any games for Everton at Premier League level never mind went on to do what he did wasn't expected to make the grade after the loan of Blackpool and or before the loan of Blackpool I should say enduring it um, all the way through even coming back from his injury um, awful challenge from Neil Ta- Taylor on um, on international GC in the Ireland v Wales game at the, the Aviva Stadium all these things come together and you just think this guy has had hurdles put in front of him every time but he's he's gone over them He's, he's got over them. I think that's a testament to the character of the of 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 the lad. He's obviously we, lots documented about that. We don't really need to say any more. Um, but the full picture that we got, I think, it's a, quite a fascinating portrayal of somebody. Like I do consider, if you if somebody said to you, name the best Everton right back of the the last ten years, I, I think most people would say Seamus Coleman. And even now, I mean, obviously, we brought Jabril Sadibi and John Joe Kenny's out on loan at Chalker. I still think he he's got a place at this moment in time. It might not be Everton's right back for the next two, three, four seasons. In fact, it probably won't in in the in the mid term. But could you find a better understudy? If, if Everton do buy a, a new long-term right-back or bring John Joe back, could you find a better understudy in the way Leighton Baines is doing with Luca Dean? Could you find a better understudy than, than Seamus Coleman? I, I'm not entirely sure. And when, when you put that together with the fact that you, you absolutely wouldn't want to see him in the opposition's shirt, um, I think that kind of almost makes the mind up, for certainly for me, if, if not for the Everton hierarchy. Well, I mean, we know that the Seamus is, is is currently at the sort of back end of doing his UEFA coaching license um, yeah. to to become a fully flourished uh, a like licensed coach, and um, it it wouldn't surprise me with Everton's track record of giving um, roles at the club to former players if if it's all you know it's already been discussed that as soon as he's ready to hang up his boots and uh, I'm not suggesting he is of course, but as soon as he does feel he is and wants to start coaching. That they won't find the role for him at Everton. I'd, I'd be amazed if that wasn't the case, and I certainly think he will have a lot to offer as a manager. Um, 
you touched there on, on the setbacks he's overcome and obviously one that one of if not the biggest setback of his career was the aftermath of that tackle um against Wales uh, and the way he was able to just turn things around uh, come back with his usual professionalism and, and dedication to the rehab uh, and of course it must be said as well the expertise and, and guidance of Everton's sports science and rehabilitation team yeah well the other piece that we've written on the site this week looks at how Everton have had some pedigree for for that department if you like for a long time and probably before quite a lot of people might have even known what sports science was um, the piece I'm talking about of course is how back in 71-72 season, uh, Everton were very pioneering, really. Uh, they they had uh, two academics in, in the first instance from what was then Liverpool Polytechnic, now is Liverpool John Moores University. Um, and they had them in, didn't they, to come in and effectively um, run the data, do the stats, do the analysis, do things that now uh very much enshrined in, in the heart of what every professional football club does probably throughout the levels but back then the work of Vaughan Thomas and Tom Riley was really really cutting edge wasn't it yeah to be honest I think this is a, a remarkable story it might be even more remarkable than what we've just spoken about with 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 Seamus because like you say the advent of certainly sports data things like Opta so it didn't happen until around the, the the new millennium um sports science back then was was pro- predominantly the domain of academics and of, of people in the u.s people in the u.s were at the forefront of it and speaking to some people about these two guys they effectively credit vaughan thomas and, and and tom riley with inventing sports science as it's known in this country um with with kind of with bringing about the advent of 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 that sports science, so uh, it is a remarkable is a remarkable story. Um, the the way it came about, uh, which I think is quite interesting, quite important. Everton had obviously won the league in 1970 under Harry Catrick, 1969-1970, but for the next two years, for the next two seasons, had slumped into. If you can imagine, they were champions one year, then I think they were. They were. Um, they didn't even finish in the um, in the top ten the year after. They were in the bottom half. They were in the bottom half the year after, um, and they were plagued by injuries. So I think Catrick had been looking for solutions himself, and um, Everton's chairman, who at the time was John Morse, uh, as a quirk of fate, kind of recommended. He'd had a discussion with a guy called Vaughan Thomas, um, who was working at Liverpool Polytechnic, and he. They'd had this discussion. It went well, and Everton um, agreed to to bring Vaughan Thomas and his research assistant Tom Riley on board. Um, they only stayed for a short period of time. It started at the start of the nineteen seventy two seventy three season. But when I mean, having spoken to people familiar with the project, when you look at some of the stuff that those guys were doing back then, um, it seems remarkably innovative. Um, for want of a better phrase, uh, I keep saying the word remarkable, and that's probably because it was. Um, one of the stories, for example, they um, on a pre-season tour of Sweden, they um, monitored players overnight. They checked heart uh, pulse rates at 3 and three a.m. in the morning so they could compare them with players' pulse rates after games. And they infiltrated, they, they were allowed kind of full access um, behind the scenes. They 
Um, they did gym work with them. The players have personalized weight regimes. Um, they filmed matches. They made notes on matches. Tom Riley collected data from matches, again, way before Opta came into existence. Um, they, um, a whole heap of things um, from kind of site. <laughs> psychoanalysis tests to, to test effectively how suitable players were to play for Everton on a skill level, on a psychological level, um, in, in kind of loads of different facets. Um, and I think they were paid about 13 grand over what should have been a 30, a three-year project, I should say. Um, <laughs> it didn't last that long. It absolutely didn't last that long. Catrick um, got the boot in, in 1973. He was replaced by Billy Bingham, who didn't... Um, really want to continue with the project it wasn't his thing and he, what he wanted to set about kind of overhauling quite a lot of the existing structures and, and can turn over a new page but i mean the work these guys did paved the way i think for for everything we've seen before and you speak about the sports the school of science and, and everton earned that nickname predominantly because of the way they played the game and the way they played football but i mean this is another um, interesting avenue. You talk about Everton being the club of firsts. No other Premier League club was doing what these guys were doing at Everton at that time. And I think everybody associated with the project looks back on it with an awful lot of pride. Absolutely. I think you, know, you really have to look at the rise of sports science since, you know, as a as an industry in football and as an academic pursuit to see uh, how ahead of, the, ahead of their time they were. And Everton, you know, continue to be really sort of um, to have an eye on on, on all realms of of cutting edge innovation and they still they still collaborate now I know they Everton the community a, a wider level um, do a lot of projects with Liverpool Hope University um, to do with the sort of the more demographic of the city and how Everton the community fits in so um, yeah the, definitely the School of Science element sticks uh, suitably in there well I really encourage you to read both those pieces, but it's a bit different each of them. Um, and as you can hopefully tell, we really enjoy pulling them together. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and we'll see you again next week. Don't forget, you can enjoy The Athletic for free at the moment. 90 days, give it a trial. All you need to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Stay safe and see you next week. Mm-hmm.